Next up, a screening of the documentary Roybos Restitution will be held at the Baxter Theatre in Cape Town this coming Thursday in order to raise funds for the Vipital community's land struggle. These mountains abound with stories. This story goes back thousands of years, back to a time when our ancestors live and hunt here in southern Africa. But it's a tale that has a remarkable modern twist about a famous bush that's always been part of our culture. It grows only here, in the Cedarburg Mountains, about 300 kilometers north of Cape Town. By chewing it, it, it enables your digestion and it's got antioxidants that make you feel better and it's got something of a pick-me-up feeling. So the tea is more than just a commercial product to them. It is part of the heritage, it's part of their culture. A culture that goes way back to when these mountains were the canvas of our ancestors and a heritage that now promises to put the people of the Cedarburg and a unique plant called Rebos in the global spotlight. For the Khoi Khoi and San community of Vipital in the Cedarburg region of South Africa, New Year's Day 2019 dawned in tragedy. Overnight, a fire devastated the small town, burning down most of the houses and buildings and leaving around 200 people without homes or belongings. Now, this tragedy is a blow to the cultural heritage of the people of the community. Unfortunately, their way of life is under threat. They face many challenges compounded by the New Year's loss. Sylvia Leslie, welcome to Late Nights. Great to have you with us. Thanks so much for coming in. Congratulations on the documentary. Thank you. Um, for people who may not have any background knowledge about uh, about this story, just tell us about the community at the centre of the documentary. Well, for everybody who has been following the news, Vipital kind of came into our awareness, unfortunately, during the festive season because of the fire that devastated this historic village. But Leslie's been working um, as an attorney with the community for a long time on an issue that we'll talk about later. But my role has been as a filmmaker to make a film about the issue that, that Leslie has been working with. And, and in short, it is a story about the people of the Cedarburg and, and in the film, most of the film is shot in Wuppertal as the central uh, place in the story. The people of the Cedarburg have staked a claim for recognition of their traditional knowledge and, and on that sphere, Leslie knows, knows a lot better than I do. But this is a completely intangible thing to say you have to recognize me for my traditional knowledge. My oma groeke vir my vertel van rooibos, so nou met julle vir ons geld hier, want ons het kennis van rooibos. You know, so, um, and when I first got to hear about it via Leslie and, and natural justice, I just thought, what are the chances people are going to give money, monetary value or attach a monetary value to that? But hey, what happened? They won, you know, this incredible bid. And, and now the film is about this amazing story and this victory. But as we were discussing, you know, the premiere of the film and community screenings, all of that, the fire happened. And so now the film premiere has become a fundraiser for the community. And, and that fundraiser is on Thursday night, January 31st at the Baxter at 8 o'clock. Okay, fantastic. Leslie, will you just explain um, who currently owns the land that we're talking about? 
So, good evening. Um, thank you for the opportunity. Pleasure. So, the land is currently owned by the Moravian Church, and um, it's been uh, in the ownership of the Moravian Church since the 1800s. Yeah. And how did the Moravian Church come to own the land? <laughs> she asks. Yeah, I think that is part of the big South African story yeah. uh, in terms of you know, this colonialism mm. um, and the history of the church as part of that land uh, disposition. Mm. And the Wuppertal story is no different. Yeah, yeah. So, what is the current plight? I mean, we 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 know that there was this this. Would we call it a landmark? A landmark ruling? Would that be fair to 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 say in terms of the case, or or where whereabouts are we with it? Well, currently for the last, um, I would since uh, 2012, the Kohensan communities, as the traditional knowledge holders to the uses of rooibos, stake this legal claim, as Sylvia has mentioned, where they've come forth to tell the rooibos, South African rooibos industry there is actually traditional knowledge holders to the uses of rooibos. It's not just an agricultural product. Our ancestors have been using this uh, plant in various ways. And that knowledge was shared over 200 years ago. And uh, it was used commercially without the consent of the community. And they've come forward now to actually stake their claim uh, to firstly get recognition as the traditional knowledge holders to the uses of rooibos and secondly to share in terms of benefits. And that comes really in the wake of a big uh, sort of international recognition by uh, the United Nations through a supplementary agreement called the Nagoya Protocol mm. saying that Communities have the right to share in benefits where their traditional knowledge is being used. Yeah, yeah, which which seems a bit of a no-brainer, yeah, to to me. Um, but obviously, there are so many other factors, uh, so many other factors at, at play. What are the challenges then currently facing them in order for them to assert their rights over this land and and, and over um, their knowledge? I guess. Well, it's been a long process. Firstly, the industry at the time in 2012, when uh, firstly the South African Sound Council actually kicked off the case and they informed the Department of Environmental Affairs about the traditional knowledge claim. And at that time, there were four historical communities, and thereafter, 40 communities, Koi Koi communities, also joined the claim. And thereafter, the Cedarburg community joined the claim to inform them. And so it was, it took some bit of work, um, to actually get the South African industry, robust industry to accept that there's traditional knowledge holders. Mm. Uh, because at that time, people were just assumed to be, um, you know, firstly, the Koinsan community are not formally recognized in South Africa. So they are struggling for their existence in the country. And here you're coming, the most, one of the most lucrative tea industries and saying, you guys were the original inventors to the uses, uh, of rooibos, um, that was quite something to, to, to accept by the industry and that was quite a journey we walked. But luckily the South African government commissioned a study in 2014 and that study confirmed that the Koi Insan is in fact the traditional knowledge holders to the rooibos. And that was a very, very important moment to give that support to the voice of the community and for the claim to not just be seeing that it's a wild claim, but that that sort of institutional recognition by our government was given, and that, in a sense, helped to force the industry to come to the table. Mm. Currently, the negotiations are ongoing, and we are very, very close to actually concluding the agreement. And that will have... Uh, 
sort of the effect of a generational benefit sharing agreement being in place between the rooibos industry and the Koensan communities of which the Wuppertal community uh, are both a stakeholder in the sense that they look after the rooibos resource and they are forming part of the Koensan indigenous communities. In very pra- practical terms, what does this mean? What would this mean for the future of these communities? What would that? How would their futures look different? It's it's a, a question that we pose uh, very strongly in in the film because it is not once the decision and the victory has been won and you know it's it's, it's quite a bittersweet story because here's this victory and then comes this fire, mm. um, but once the the victory has been won. What is this thing called benefits and how do you share it amongst the entire Koi and Sun nation? Mm. And so we raise the question in the film and, and people quite, quite honestly say the leadership of, of the groups involved, um, like the person who's at the head of the, the National Koi and Sun Council say that they haven't got all those answers yet, but there is a discussion around, um, a fund, a fund that will um, have educational benefits or that will um, uplift communities. And so those discussions are happening right now. But it doesn't mean to say that because there isn't a clear-cut answer to that very important question that you can't have this ongoing process of, of getting the benefit-sharing agreement signed and tied down. What has so far has been the engagement between the community, the church and government? I mean, what is the church saying as, as one of the key players in this, in this entire story? Well, what has been happening so far is, uh, from the context of the fire, for instance, um, you had that the sort of the church has been Given the fact that they're the owners of the land, technically, or the registered owners, um, they've been the ones kind of receiving all sort of donations that uh, different quarters have been giving towards the community. And um, so now there's kind of, in a sense, where they've had to figure out with the community now post-rebuilding or post-the-fire, how do we best move forward? How do we rebuild? And so there's been that engagement between government and the church and also now the communities. But that relationship and how those three spheres fits together, given the history and given the complexities, mm. is something they're having to figure out now. Yeah. So it's and not, sorry. sorry. And, and what is interesting is, is that when you speak to the people of Apatow, one, one of the, the main characters that we interview is uh, Mr. Baron Salomo, and he's the, the chairperson of the, the Roibos co-op in, in Vipital called Roibos Originals. And when you talk to him about who owns the land, he is adamant and very clear. He says, we are the owners. The church the land is just registered in the name of the church. They do not own the land, you know. Um, but I guess when when you listen to him say that, you think about the rest of South Africa and you think about the issue of indigenous people and First Nations. And, and you realize that although we know we own the land, um, we have nothing to show for that. Mm. So it is not a uniquely Vipital fight. It's a fight that all of us have to have. And with not just the government or the Moravian church, with authority in general. No, of course, of course. So, of course, we we speak so uh, at the moment, of course, about land expropriation without compensation. Uh, We talk about restitution. Would a ruling in favour of the the community mean the land would be returned officially to the Vipital community or to to the the Koinsan communities as a whole? Would that is that what that would look like? 
Well, technically, yes. If they are going to put in a claim, it would be that the community would have to constitute themselves as a legal entity that's able to, you know, that has a legal personality, that's able to engage in such a legal process. They would either have to form themselves in a communal property association or form of a trust to engage it, and that would then be going, be held collectively by the Vipital community, however they define themselves. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sylvia, will you talk to us a little bit more about the process of putting the documentary together? I mean, where did the uh, where did the inspiration spark that you wanted to start this? Because it's a, it's a huge project to, to embark on. Well, the inspiration came from Leslie, um, who works with the, the one of the main funders, the Heinrich Ball uh, Foundation of Southern Africa. And um, she approached me because of some other work that I'd done and that she'd experienced. And when I heard the story, I had two reactions. I was firstly very excited because it just sounded, this is making history, and that's the kind of journalism that I like. And it's a quintessentially South African story. Very South African story and it concerns me is this is my heritage mm, you know mm. and and so firstly I was very excited then I sat down with her had meetings with with Leslie and with the, the foundation and I was terrified because I didn't understand any of this I'd never heard of the Nagoya protocol and um Access and benefit sharing agreements and, and, um, the convention on biodiversity was just a vague thing somewhere in the back of my mind. So I sat down and did, you know, kind of Roybos 101 <laughs> for a while. <laughs> and, and after a while, we, you know, we'd, all, all the research had to happen and the pre-production. It took me a while before I could actually pick up a camera and say, okay, I think I can go and shoot an interview now because I now begin to understand the story. So it's extremely complex, but at the same time, um, beautiful in its simplicity, you know. This is land that we own. This is knowledge that that has been passed down from our ancestors for hundreds of years, and it's been exploited, and and other people have benefited from us and not always us. So... It just makes sense that in the 21st century, the thing has come full circle. And so that's why I was excited about the film, because my grandparents and my grandmother, whom I grew up with very closely, wouldn't allow us to drink anything else as children. So we bathed in rooibos, we drank rooibos tea. And, and when when uh, friends came to visit, I was always a bit embarrassed because I thought, couldn't we just like have five roses like other people? <laughs> Is, does it mean we're poor that we can't? And, and she wouldn't allow us. She wouldn't allow us to drink coffee as children because she felt that it was dangerous for your health. Now when I look at all the research being done, I realize my grandmother was looking after our health, yeah. you know, and so on so many levels, the film spoke to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, for you, what was the most challenging part of bringing it all together and making sure that you were telling people's stories authentically and, and truly? I think the most challenging part for me was the stuff that I had to leave out of the film mm. because we have, you know, we started out saying we're going to make a half an hour film. It's um, just over 40 minutes at the moment. And if we, you know, going to license it to broadcasters, it might end up closer to an hour. So, but even then um, we've, we've left some important stories out. One of, one of my favorite stories, which I think is a story for maybe another film is the fact that the whole commercial rooibos industry was started because 
because of a coy woman called Trinky Swartz. And, and that story on its own is fascinating that not just is it the traditional knowledge of the koi and the sun people that made sure we have this huge global industry of, of one of the best teas in the world, but there was this one single woman whose knowledge and, and engagement with the rooibos industry in its nascent, um, years kick-started the industrialization or the, sorry, the commercialization of this. To the, to the rooibos that we see on our shelves. It's thanks to Antrinki Swartz, you know. Which is, which is absolutely phenomenal when yeah. you can trace a history back. Not and just that's, to a that excited to a me that yeah. I could find Antrinki's story. And not only that, I found an old man who had w- worked at the Rooibos, um, limited, uh, company when she was, um, a nanny for the Berg family, which is one of the big rich families that still owns, uh, big rooibos company. Um, and, and he had done a radio interview with her before she died. She's long passed on. And he had the recording. So I could actually listen to this recording of Aunt Trinky telling him about how she had told these people where to find the seeds and how to find the seeds. And she was the only one who had that kind of knowledge. Amazing. Have the people who appeared in the documentary seen it? And what have they said? We've just had few small, small, um, preview screenings for a select group, but no, we haven't, we haven't showed it. This, uh, the premiere at the Baxter on Thursday night will be the first big public showing of it. What are you hoping people will take from this, from the project? Well, I guess we, we, we have big ambitions at the moment. Um, I'm just hoping that, that first of all, that sense of pride and, and belonging and identity that mm. I felt when I heard the stories, when I traveled to and fro to Vipital and spent time in the Cedarburg and that connection, that oneness with, with our people who, who are involved in the story. I just want to pass that on because I think our kids need to be more proud of who they are. They Absolutely. need to be more firmly rooted in this amazing identity and not just use these words koi and sun and throw them about without meaning. So, so that for me is very important. Um, and I guess Leslie also has big ambitions for what this film can achieve. Yeah, I think for us just as environmental lawyers, it's important that these concepts, Nagoya Protocol and bioprospecting, it's people's stories. Mm. It's people's rights and we abuse this one approach to ensure that it's an indigenous story that's told not by others uh, for the communities, but it's actually coming from an indigenous worldview. And we thought Sylvia brought that. Yeah. Um, and so it's that in that sort of uh, innovative ways, we hope, in terms of, you know, decolonizing the law and somehow for it to be a legacy and an empowering tool for communities going forward. Are there similar cases that are also ongoing, perhaps in other industries and in, in, uh, rooted in other, uh, not just in, in Roybos, perhaps? Yes, I mean, South Africa, we are rich in flora and fauna. Um, there are several indigenous uh, biological resources and most of our indigenous biological resources has traditional knowledge and it's an active uh, industry that's, that's unfolding. And in terms of, in terms of legal challenges to that in similar ways to this, would they mirror that? Are they happening sort of up and down the country? 
Well, the challenges are there because it's kind of two worlds merging. It's mm. your commercial world yeah. and then it's your communities. And mm. it's two sectors differently organized, different pace, different resources. And they have to come together because now it's about accessing knowledge, accessing resources, not just without respecting communities, re- without respecting their forms of decision making. Companies now have to respect that mm. and how to make that actually work. And now South African government is quite, you know, in the midst of making sure how we streamline it so that it can actually ensure that benefits flows back but also does not kill our economy. Yeah. And 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 things like Buhu and um Silitium and and stuff like that. There's quite a few Alu is quite a few. Yeah. I think for, for me, what, what speaks to me so, so strongly about this is not just the, the, the monetary benefit that, that we are speaking about, but the, the sense of identity. Really, and I think that is, again, that is such a quintessentially South African theme, particularly mm. at the moment, is that we are speaking to the identity of people. Um, and is that what you were hoping for with the project? Absolutely. You know, this issue of identity and her- heritage mm. and, and being rooted in your heritage is so important. I don't think, for instance, that it's coincidence that in the communities where I come from, descendants of the indigenous people of, of this part of the world, that the incidence of addiction and alcohol and violence is so much higher than in other communities and for me the difference between where I grew up and and maybe where a Kosa person or a Zulu person grew up is that they tell stories of heroism they tell stories of proud histories um if you grew up with a tag colored, first of all, it says nothing about who you are and mm. where you come from and mm. your claim to the land. And so our children have grown up with this feeling of being nothing and belonging nowhere. And, and and for me, the exciting thing about the 21st century is that there's this collective wave of people setting that straight, you know. Yeah. Now that it wasn't just getting rid of apartheid, it was getting rid of that nowhere, nothing label. Mm. And so moving forward, we need to give our children these, this history and, and make them stand firm in these stories of who they are. And a story like this is not just a story about Roybus and the people of the Cedarburg and a legal victory. It's a story about immersing ourselves in our heritage and our identity and just standing that much taller after at the end of it. Yeah, 100%. Just remind us again of uh, the event on Thursday night at the Baxter. Thursday night at the Baxter. Tickets are available via web tickets. Now we know it's January and people have been broke and school uniforms and all of those things, but please, it's only 150 rand and if you can't go buy the ticket anyway and and do the donation, Mm. um, and it's at 8 o'clock in the Baxter concert but if you can't do the web, uh, the internet thing or the credit card thing, then just come to the Baxter and come and buy a ticket. There will be tickets available at the door. Fantastic. It's been such a pleasure, Leslie uh, and Sylvia, to have you in. And, and what a fantastic story. And I'm so looking forward to watching the documentary. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah.